Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. You might not think of a major utility company as a repository of Native ancestral remains, but over nearly a century of developing sites to produce and transmit power, the Tennessee Valley Authority has uncovered and held onto thousands of remains and important items. In recent months, they've worked to catalog and now repatriate those remains and artifacts to the appropriate tribes. We'll learn about the TVA's work both to collect items, but also to return them. We're back right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. An indigenous organization is collecting data about American Indian and Alaska Native youth. Emma Van Denindy with KUNC reports. The Center for Native American Youth is conducting a nationally reaching survey aimed at young adults who identify as indigenous. How can we be working for Native youth if we don't truly know what their voice is? That's Cheyenne Brady with the center. The center's done a few surveys like this in the past but this one focuses on the resources available to Native youth. It asks questions about education, food security, economic opportunities, and more. The survey is part of the Urban Indian Health Institute's Decolonizing Data Grant Program. Brady says their goal is to fill in the data gaps where other surveys fail. If we're not creating new data for us and by us, that risks the opportunity for the nation and the world to continue utilizing any data where we're severely underrepresented or any data that is simply inaccurate. The survey has more than 500 responses. Once finished, the results will be shared with tribes. For National Native News, I'm Emma Vandenindy. The survey will close Friday. It can be found online at cnay.org. This is a tale of two Alaskan dogs who live on St. Lawrence Island, a tiny piece of land off the Bering Sea coast, not far from Russia, surrounded by sea ice. KMBA's Rhonda McBride has the story. Starlight and Nanook, they're the beloved pets of Mandy I. Warrigan, who lives in Gamble, a village at the top of the island. If dogs could talk, both of them would have one heck of a story. I Warrigan left Starlight and Nanook at home in Gamble when she took a trip south to Savunga, or so she thought. The dogs disappeared, and about two and a half weeks later, Starlight, who looks like a black lab and husky mix, showed up in Savunga, about 40 miles away from Gamble. So where was Nanook? Well, the Australian Shepherd turned up in Wales a week after Starlight made it to Savunga, a trek to the mainland that took Nanook across more than 150 miles of sea ice. And except for some bite marks on his leg, he was in good condition. I Warrigan believes he survived by hunting. I'm pretty sure he ate scraps of seals, scraps of birds. I Warrigan says the dog proved he was a survivor and lived up to his Siberian Yupik name, Nanook, which means polar bear. He traveled back to Gamble by airplane, and I Warrigan and her kids were there to greet him. When he came and heard our voices off of the plane, he started whining and crying, you know, just the happiness. With antibiotics to treat his leg, Nanook appears to be on the man. I Warrigan believes he may have been bitten by a wolverine or a seal, 
possibly even a polar bear. In Anchorage, I'm Rhonda McBride. Western Michigan University is announcing a graduate certificate in tribal governance. The certificate is in cooperation with the School of Public Affairs and Administration and three Potawatomi nations. The opportunity is intended to provide tribally endorsed resources where students can engage with various tribal entities through subject matter and experts. Plans include cohorts involving government, gaming, and economic development with each tribe. The announcement will be made Thursday as the university hosts a talk with U.S. Assistant Secretary for Indian Affairs, Brian Newland. Newland is a citizen of the Bay Mills Indian community in northern Michigan. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation, with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by the Gathering of Nations Powwow, a live event taking place April 27th, 28th, and 29th on the powwow grounds of Expo New Mexico, featuring song, dance, trader's market, horse parade, and more. Tickets available at gatheringofnations.com and at the gates. The Indian Arts and Crafts Board promotes Indian artists of federally recognized tribes through its online source directory. Information on this no-charge opportunity available at doi.gov IACB, who support this program. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. The nation's largest federally owned public utility is making moves to repatriate nearly 5,000 Native American ancestral remains and 1,400 ceremonial objects. The Tennessee Valley Authority collected the remains and items it encountered as it developed land in at least three states and stored them locally and among five affiliate institutions, including the University of Tennessee. More than 20 tribes, many of whom were forcibly removed from their southeastern homelands to Oklahoma, have connections to the remains and items. This collection is just a portion of what ProPublica reports is the eighth largest collection of unrepatriated Native American remains in the U.S. Today we'll hear more about these repatriation efforts, but we'd like to hear from you too. Does your tribe work to repatriate ancestors or important items? Give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Joining us now from Knoxville, Tennessee, are Meg Cook and Marianne Schuler. They are both with the Tennessee Valley Authority. Meg is a senior archaeologist and NAGPRA specialist, and Marianne is a senior archaeologist and tribal liaison. Meg, Marianne, welcome to the show to you both. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. Also joining us from the lands of the Piscataway people, a.k.a. Clarksville, Maryland, is Shannon O'Loughlin. She's an attorney and the CEO of the Association on American Indian Affairs. She's Choctaw. Shannon, welcome back to NAC. Hey, thanks, Sean. Glad to be here. Great to have you, Shannon, as well as Meg and Marianne. And Marianne, let's go ahead and start with you today. TVA is an electric utility that provides power to about 10 million people. How did it come to possess so many Native American ancestral remains and objects? question and thanks again for having us. Um, so TVA is a, a 
power agency, power company, and a federal agency. Um, got a number of uh, sort of missions and goals that we have with the work that we do. Um, one of the primary goals for the agency was flood control and navigation of the Tennessee River Valley. Um, another piece of that that you mentioned is providing power to the people that live in this valley and serving uh, the communities within here. Um, so the, the Tennessee River Valley was actually um, monitored and controlled by TVA. We installed uh, a number of dams within the, the river system to control that flooding. Um, and this happened in the early 30s and 40s timeframe. And so during that work and prior to the installation of those dams, uh, the Tennessee Valley Authority worked with uh, a number of universities to go in and retrieve archaeological uh, material and excavate sites uh, prior to that flooding that occurred. So um, we had a number of salvage archaeological excavations that occurred in the River Valley, and, and that's how we came to um, obtain these ancestors and these artifacts. So these items date back uh, nearly 100 years at this point now, going back to the, the 1930s, early 40s. And so what has been the process so far to repatriate some of these remains? Well, so in the early time frame of TDA, um, I would say early 2000s, we really started engaging and consulting with tribes um, at that point. And since that time, we have worked uh, with tribes very diligently strengthening those relationships uh, and repatriating ancestors to tribes. We officially got a, a NAGPRA specialist in 2009, uh, and I think up until um, this last year, we had repatriated over 10,000 ancestors. Um, we had been uh, repatriating and doing NICs, sort of a site-by-site -site basis at that point. Um, and then this year came about, we've heard a lot of uh, information, consultation with tribes, that the process was um, you know, not moving as fast as they would like. They really called on TVA to, to move that process along at a quicker pace. And our managers and uh, agency as a whole looked at us and said, we need to make this happen. And so that's kind of how we've gotten here today. And who were, were these tribes that, that you've been working with and, and what were those consultations like? Sure. Um, so right now we consult with over 20 uh, federally recognized Indian tribes who have told us that they have an interest, religious and cultural interest in the Tennessee Valley. Um, and so we have uh, had those consultations regularly since the early 2000s, as I've mentioned. Uh, we've continued to grow that relationship, um, developing partnerships um, with these tribes, not only consulting them with them in, in the legal aspect, but also our moral obligation to these tribes. Um, you know, we acknowledge and recognize that they are sovereign nations, sovereign over their laws and their history and their people. Um, and so that includes their ancestors as well. But we have consulted in NAGPRA space for a number of years. Uh, but here recently, we really made these efforts to ramp up that consultation uh, with a more targeted focus, um, instituting more of those conversations and consultations with tribes. And so uh, we're, we're proud to be a partner with them in this work and uh, really rely on them for, for much of the work that we do. They're extremely involved, uh, and we're happy to be working with them uh, and are moving forward with this transfer. Um, I think the ultimate goal that we all have is the reburial of these ancestors, and so we look forward to working through the next uh, few years to prepare these individuals uh, for that ultimate reburial. 
Now, Marion, some of these tribes have been critical. They've complained that the process has taken too long. Are those fair assessments for them to make? Yeah, I think, you know, in all, we, we have that responsibility uh, and, and, and need to be in compliance with NAGPRA. I think, you know, we, TDA has made progress in that, in that space to, to complete repatriations. Um, but it is it has definitely um, been a good thing, I think, to have us challenged to rethink how we were doing that work um, to see if we can do it better. And so um, I think we're, you know, I can speak for myself and I, for Meg and the agency that, that we're proud to, to have put out this recent NIC uh, and to try to make those efforts um, become more efficient. So I hope that answers oh. your question. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate it. Let's go ahead and, and, and pivot to Meg now. And Meg, we heard Marianne mention NAGRA, the Native American Graves and Repatriation Act. Can you explain how the Tennessee Valley Authority is subject to NAGRA? Sure. As a federal agency or an institution that receives federal funds or has ever received federal funds, uh, that is really what kind of loops us under <clears throat> NAGPRA. And it's it's our you know goal ultimately to oversee all of these repatriations, but it's not just about that at TVA, it's really about doing more than just what's required by the law. Um, I wanna be clear that NAGPRA requires three essential parts, and that is consultation, reporting your holdings, and then publishing a notice before you do anything with those individuals and objects. And so um, TVA has consistently been doing all three of those things for quite some time, but we've kind of changed direction a little bit at this point. Okay. And Meg, uh, these remains that have been repatriated and some of the ones that are still there uh, in the possession of TVA, where are they housed and, and, and how are they taken care of? Sure. That's a great question. Um, we partner with repositories, which are primarily uh, universities. And our two main repositories are going to be the University of Alabama and the University of Tennessee in Knoxville. Um, we work with these repositories. Part of our, our big push to um, sort of expand and improve the, our NAGPRA process is engaging with these repositories on a regular basis as well to see uh, how these people are being cared for and who has access to the collection. And um, we've been remarkably pleased um, overall, and any requests that we have to make, you know, have been uh, certainly met <clears throat> within a timely manner. Um, and we're really building those partnerships as well as those tri tribal partnerships to make sure that everyone is not just cared for in, in a way that's required under um, a, another federal law, but also a way that's culturally sensitive and respectful to um, the individuals that have claimed them. Now, these additional items that are still in holding, what's the plan for those? That's also a good question. The plan for the individuals that are still in holding, we have now made them available for repatriation at, at the end of April. Um, we have published a notice of inventory completion for everyone and everything that is remaining as reported on our inventory. And, you know, I should be clear that the original regulations under NAGPRA, this, this should have been done long ago um, in the 90s, 
And there are a lot of institutions that have been slow with this process. It seems like um, in our situation, we have been um, really trying to work toward getting as much information as possible to the tribes. Um, we're not, not necessarily a research institution invested in um, researching the individuals or their objects, but we really um, have been investigating, trying to share as much information as possible. But, you know, in a lot of, of cases, that additional um, information collecting and assessment and cataloging was not um, requested through consultation. So we've kind of flipped the script and instead of taking a really long time to count, you know, every single little piece of burned clay, we're, we're saying, okay, let's make everyone available for repatriation now. And we're gonna continue to engage and continue to have these meaningful consultations to discuss who, which tribe wants to take the lead and what kind of assessment they want to see. You know, do, do they want us opening every box and disturbing these individuals that have already been disturbed in the past? Or, you know, what, what kind of steps do they want to see? So really it's consultation-driven um, guidance that hopefully will create a better process for us. The Tennessee Valley Authority, uh, the nation's largest federally owned public utility they are an electric utility uh, providing power to about 10 million people, and they're in the process of repatriating nearly 5,000 Native American ancestral remains, as well as uh, over 1,000 ceremonial objects. So uh, this is an interesting topic. Uh, could be a touchy topic for some folks as well, but anybody with some questions or some comments, ideas, give us a call. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Land conservation is a noble effort, but the methods can be disastrous. The publication Grist looks at both historical and modern efforts to preserve land at the expense of the indigenous people who inhabit it. The work comes as world leaders push to preserve even more land. We'll hear about the pitfalls of conservation gone wrong on the next Native America Calling. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Repatriation efforts by the Tennessee Valley Authority is our focus today. Thousands of ancestral remains from more than 20 southeastern tribes were collected by the power company decades ago. Now, after years of research and 32 years after NAGPRA became law, tribes will be able to bring their ancestors home. Join the conversation with your questions and comments. We're at 1-800-996-2848. Once again, that number to call, 1-800-996-2848. On the line, we have Meg Cook and Marianne Schuler. They're both with the Tennessee Valley Authority. And Meg, before we went to break, uh, you shared that there is a, a notice of inventory uh, available that uh, has uh, all of these items and remains listed on it. Is that available for anyone to view? Um. 
that is information that is publicly available through the National NAGPRA program uh, just by request. The notice of inventory completion is available uh, online for anyone to view. The inventories are an itemized list of individuals and objects, so that is um, sensitive material that um, is no longer available publicly. Okay. And no pictures, I would imagine, just just text explaining or describing some of these items? Correct. Yes, correct. Gotcha. Okay. Thank you for that clarification, Meg. Uh, let's go ahead and bring Shannon O'Loughlin into the conversation now. Again, she's an attorney and CEO of the Association on American Indian Affairs. Shannon, we've heard about TVA's efforts to repatriate some Native American remains, some items. Where does this stack up in terms of the size and importance of these other items that TVA is still holding on to? Yeah, uh, thanks a lot, Sean. Uh, TVA has historically been known to have just a uh, an enormous number of ancestors, their burial belongings, and other uh, cultural items. I, I, I took a quick look at Tennessee Valley's uh, notices of inventory completion, and I see if the numbers are correct on the National NAGPRA program, they've reported um, being in possession of um, uh, about 14,500 ancestors total and almost 126,000 funerary objects associated with those ancestors. They've also um, uh, provided uh, repatriation currently um, of those unaffiliated funerary objects. About almost 56,000 um, have been in notices uh, of intent to repatriate, and there have been two sacred objects that were repatriated. And it looks like the TVA started really publishing inventories um, and doing repatriation uh, starting in about 2011. Uh, so it took them, you know, about 21 years to really get their efforts going where we started uh, seeing movement. Um, they, uh, until this repatriation moves forward, they're one of the top 10 institutions, um, uh, museums, or federal agencies that hold 50% of all the ancestors that have been reported to National NAGPRA. Alrighty. And uh, Shannon, I definitely want to continue uh, on this line of discussion, but I do want to pivot back to Marianne quickly and allow her to respond. Marianne, uh, Shannon describes uh, roughly 14,500 ancestors uh, listed on some of these inventories, 26,000 funerary items, uh, serious repatriation efforts starting around 2011. Is that a fair assessment? Uh, yeah, that, that is a fair assessment. And I, I think I'd mentioned earlier, we, we hired our first full-time NAGPRA specialist in about 2009. And uh, so took the individual, you know, a couple of years to kind of get situation squared away and, and kind of get a path forward. So uh, that is correct. I think we did uh, publish that first NIC in around 2011. Um, and I can say between that time, you know, 2011 until up until last year, uh, TVA had repatriated over 10,000 ancestors and over 100,000 uh, funerary objects. Um, so I, I would say that is that is an accurate statement. Um, and we do recognize that we have uh, some of the largest holdings, if not the largest holding, um, 
especially with um, the volume of resources uh, that are in the southeast. It's just a, a significant, very significant location. But um, yes, I would say those are uh, accurate statements. Alrighty, Shannon, back to you. So, you know, as a listener, I'm I'm hearing these numbers, and and they sound like these huge, huge numbers. But but again, I'm not really sure just what that really means in the full context compared to other museums or, or other institutions that might be, you know, housing some of these items and remains. And I just want to ask, I mean, so far with what you're hearing and what you're seeing occurring there with Tennessee Valley Authority, are, are you happy that they're moving in the right direction? Are they doing enough or is this maybe a little too little, a little too late? Uh, it's never too late. So All right, it seems like we're having a little bit of a challenge uh, with Shannon on the line. Marianne, I, I want to go ahead and, and, and go back to you and, um, you know, tell us a little bit more about uh, how these items were first uh, discovered or uh, unveiled back in the 1930s, 1940s. Uh, you mentioned that there was flood control going on and, you know, how these were workers and, and digs or, you know, tell us a little bit more about how these items were first acquired. Uh, sure, um, definitely. Uh, so, as I mentioned, in the 30s and 40s, there were lots of salvage uh, excavation projects that were going on. Um, this work was done uh, very much in partnership with uh, universities. And as Meg mentioned, our two main repositories there are University of Tennessee and University of Alabama. Uh, and so, those folks were very, very key uh, and instrumental in helping TVA conduct that archaeological excavation work. Um, so this was done in, during the Works Progress Administration, and there were lots of um, folks uh, that were came about and were able to get jobs um, to be able to do some of this archaeological work for us. So it was also helping, again, benefit those people in the communities. But um, lots of salvage work going on in, in, the, in the valley uh, to uh, retrieve those ancestors and those artifacts before that flooding um, came in, and, and, and those dams were actually put into use. Um, Thank you, Marianne. Helps. Yeah, yeah, very helpful. Appreciate it. And Shannon, back to you, and you were in the process of explaining to us, uh, you know, your thoughts on, on how this whole process is moving along there with the Tennessee Valley Authority. Yeah, I hope you can hear me uh, now, Sean. As, as, am I coming through? Yeah, loud and clear, Shannon. Thank okay. you. Okay, great. Thanks so much. Um, we um, never say it's too late for a museum or federal agency to do the right thing and work hand-in-hand -hand with tribes, consult, and repatriate. Um, so we are so happy to see TVA doing this, and we know they've been working real hard over the last five years to make this happen and, and grateful that they brought in uh, Meg Cook uh, to support their efforts. Um, so, so this is really great. Um, just to give you kind of a, a bigger picture, um, there have been reported about 216,000 ancestors in U.S. federal agencies and museums uh, that have received federal funding. About half of those have been repatriated in the last 30 years. So we're still looking at, at uh, 100,000 ancestors that have not yet been repatriated. And of course, these are numbers that only, that we know that have been published, that are made public. There are other institutions that, that have not uh, been in compliance with NAGPRA and have not reported 
numbers to us. But but this is really great work that the TVA is doing with Native nations and really provides best practices of how an institution can move forward effectively and efficiently if they build coalition, if they work with Native nations um, uh, together instead of working with one tribe at a time, if they're able to bring all the parties related to the ancestors together and uh, have those nations uh, collaborate and, and find out what's best for them and how to move forward. So um, TBA is really um, coming out to be uh, one of the better institutions in, in working with tribes over the last five years. Shannon, can you describe more about what these best practices should be for institutions that are, are, are looking to start the repatriation process? I mean, let's say for an example, there's a museum or some sort of maybe another utility, some organization that's just starting out. What's the first thing they need to do to get the ball rolling? Well, well, the first thing is is not to make excuses that you don't have capacity or information available. Um, uh, the NAGPRA process is not a scientific research project. It doesn't require um, uh, doing anything except sharing the information that that institution has with Native nations. So the first step in the process is understanding if those ancestors have information that can affiliate them with particular nations. Oftentimes that's geographic information. Um, and when we look at um, the ancestors who have been reported and have not yet been repatriated, we see that about 96% of them have geographical information, and that alone with consultation is enough to repatriate. Um, unfortunately, many institutions uh, tend to want to research the hell out of um, uh, uh, any kind of NAGPRA matters, and, and that is what causes a, a whole lot of delay. And so really it, it takes uh, very little to get started. It's an understanding of, of, uh, of passing information to Native nations and being transparent about what's in a, a museum's collections. And on the tribal side of it, let's say a tribe, uh, like let's just say, for example, I were to look at this one of these NICs here, these notices of inventory, and I were to see something just as an individual Native person and say, hey, you know what, I think that might be connected to my family, to my family history. Could as a, just, a, a, just an individual Native person, could I reach out to attempt to repatriate something, or do I need uh, the aegis of a, a tribal government to work under? So um, there's a hierarchy of... Uh, individuals or nations that um, are in uh, the repatriation process. So if you are a lineal descendant of an ancestor or of a sacred object or cultural patrimony, um, you may have priority over the tribe uh, as a whole in returning that ancestor back to the ground. Uh, so lineal descendancy, absolutely an individual native person could request repatriation of, of their relative that is known, a, a known relative. Uh, we see this happening, uh, for example, uh, with boarding school uh, information where there are known lineal descendants to children who've been buried in, in boarding school grave sites. Um, uh, if there's no known lineal descendant, then the, the next 
um, uh, in priority is is the affiliated native nation, or it may be uh, uh, related native nations who may be affiliated with a particular ancestor or site or geographic location. So um, absolutely, to the answer to your question, yes, you could, um, uh, as an individual native, um, may want to find your lineal descendants this way. Now, the type of information that museums have uh, to support lineal descendancy may be difficult um, unless your ancestor was uh, like a historical figure. Um, usually, museums and institutions um, uh, will <laughs> have information about um, our famous native relatives whose body parts and cultural items they've collected and often have had educational information or uh, other exhibits um, uh, uh, regarding those, those historical figures. Alrighty. Uh, anyone listening today who has some thoughts on, on these issues regarding repatriation? Again, we're talking about the Tennessee Valley Authority, so this primarily pertains to southeastern tribes and uh, Remains, uh, funerary items as well. Uh, lots of interesting information here on our show today. Let's go ahead and take a call now. We have Chanupa. Our listeners know his voice well. He's listening on Keeley up in Pine Ridge, South Dakota. Chanupa, hello. Hello, and Wopilak Hanke e Chichab. Lechalak is a weankilena iwogalakakile. Tohantua makhashina kiunkab hanta. Wokilena alustankse. So let me reiterate it in English. We are always forbidden to not disturb the dead, but because the way America has deemed things, they're requesting tribes to do this, which is illegal. You can't do that. You're breaking the law, the natural law. So people are sophisticated enough to talk and amplify on that when, in fact, NAGPRA has never did anything. My people here on the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation went to Maine and Vermont, okay, to bring some remains back. The white man dug them up, okay? They should be the ones putting them back and requesting the families to take part in it or the tribes so they can rebury them. But we did not disturb them. The white man did. So that evil is affecting Pine Ridge. We got... Teen suicides, death rising, and elders leaving us because of that. We are told that. That's what the show should be talking about, is that disbursement of leaving the remains alone. And I thank you, Sean, for allowing me to come on. Uh, keep the good work up, brother. I, I love you, respect you, and honor you for all the work you're putting through to hold these shows. Wokalatanka from the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation. Ha-ho! Well, brother, I appreciate those warm words, Chanupa, very much. I uh, really do appreciate that shout. This a little bit of old-school Native America calling there with uh, Chanupa calling in from Pine Ridge, South Dakota, and keeping it real for us. Uh, we do have to take a break here in about another minute and a half. But, Shannon, if you could please respond to Chanupa's comments, because he's saying, hey, you know what? Uh, we need to take a step back, slow down a little bit, and just acknowledge uh, this idea that uh, the people that, you know, originally pulled these remains up, they're the ones who are responsible for making sure that they're taken care of and put back in the ground. What's your thought on that? Oh, I absolutely agree with Chanupa. Thank you very much. And I do want to call out, you know, the statistics uh, that he was referring to, which are all over Indian country. We have some of the worst statistics in, in America uh, regarding our youth, 
regarding our, our health and our, our safety and our welfare. And it's directly related to the fact that um, our culture has been ripped from us, our ancestors, our ability um, to practice our cultures and our religions and uh, to keep our, our, our dead buried for their journey. Um, all of those have affected us today and affect our, our health, uh, safety, and security today. Um, and, yeah, there are 574 federally recognized tribes and about 400 other state-recognized and, and other tribal groups and bands and communities. Um, each one of them has different understandings about culture, religion, and their health and, and safety and well-being. Some nations do want to uh, repatriate and be in control of the repatriation Shannon, process. I'm sorry, we do have to take another break, but I'll let you continue when we come back. 1-800-996-2848 is the number to call with your questions and comments. Support by Ramona Farms, offering wholesome and delicious foods from our heirloom crops as our contribution to a better diet for the benefit of all people. We are honored to share our centuries-old farming and culinary traditions online at RamonaFarms.com. This Mother's Day, you can give all the mothers in your life truly unique gifts from SweetGrassTradingCo.com, a Ho-Chunk Inc. company, where you can choose from a variety of food, beauty, and wellness items from tribes across Turtle Island. Ho-Chunk Inc. supports this show. Thank you for listening to Native America Calling. The Tennessee Valley Authority, an electric company, is on a list of government entities with the largest collections of Native remains. Now they're ready to give them back to tribes that called the Southeast home before removal. If you're a member of one of these tribes, what do you think about this situation? Give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. We just took a great call from one of our regular listeners up in South Dakota. Let's keep them coming. Let's get some more calls, some more great comments from our listeners on the show today. And before break, we were listening to Shannon O'Loughlin. Uh, she's a CEO and an attorney there at the Association on American Indian Affairs. And Shannon, you mentioned, you know, so many federally recognized tribes as well as state recognized tribes, well over 500 and uh, obviously, you know, our caller Chanupa talked about uh, his tribe up there, the Oglala Lakota. But what about some of these other tribes? You know, every tribe is different. Every tribe will have different protocols, different cultural ceremonies and different beliefs. And how do institutions need to approach some of these issues with so many different tribes? What's the best strategy for them? Well, the best, thanks for that question, Sean. That's a really good question. And the best strategy is, is just transparency and asking questions and being a considerate human being. Um, this is a very delicate and emotional issue. Um, institutions, uh, non-Indians were, were the ones responsible for uh, unearthing our ancestors and our relatives. And under the law, they are legally obligated to consult and repatriate it. That's the um, Native nation's desire, is to repatriate those, those ancestors in line with those, um, uh, those tribes' wishes. So um, this is, this is a, a really delicate issue, but it starts off with being uh, transparent and considerate. All righty. 
Meg Cook uh, there at the TV. I'd like to bring you back in and just if you could describe for us a little bit about what one of these consultations, an initial consultation perhaps with a tribal government might look like. I mean, who's in the room and uh, how does the conversation begin when you start to talk about repatriating human remains and other objects? Yeah, I think that um, what's important to recognize here is um, knowing who needs to be in the room is a lot of times um, half of half of the process. Uh, TVA has really taken a different approach to the way that we choose to culturally affiliate. And rather than uh, there are multiple lines of evidence that you can utilize under the NAGPRA regulations, <clears throat> but just like Shannon was saying, Using simple geography, if you know there are federally recognized tribes with ties to the geography where the individuals were removed, then those are the people that, that we consult with, all of those people. Um, and so that's really what's different about um, this notice as well. Many of, I would say the, the majority of TBA's past repatriations have all been culturally unidentifiable meaning that the funerary objects don't have to be returned, but they may be returned. Um, using a cultural affiliation standpoint, even based in geography, that means that the funerary objects must be returned. And I okay. want to be clear here. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, could you give us an example? Because that, that sounds uh, very serious. Here. I mean, some items need to be returned others. So give us an example of a funerary item uh, that would not need to be returned, would not be subject to repatriation, and then one that would, if, if, it's, if that's possible. Sure, sure. So the regulatory text of NAGPRA states, without cultural affiliation, funerary objects may be returned. And the text says, with regards to affiliated individuals, funerary objects must be returned. So that's really the only difference there. If there is no connection made between past groups and present groups, um, okay. then it's not required at that point. Okay. All right. That sounds like a little bit of legalese then. So, and then it, it's on the tribe or whoever uh, wants to repatriate those items. It's up to them to prove that connection then. Is that right? That's exactly right. And we want to mitigate um, any of that burden being put onto the tribes. And we're we're trying to do things a little bit differently uh, with this broad affiliation so that sovereign nations have the ability to make decisions about who they feel is culturally affiliated and step forward. Um, and I, I wanna call out uh, Marianne here, if I may, because I think it's important to talk about the, the caller and what he mentioned and some of the ways that, um, that TVA is working to do the right thing. Sure, Marianne, please jump in. Yeah, thank you. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to respond um, to the previous caller's um, comment about the agency having the responsibility, and uh, we completely agree. Um, I know, you know, reinterment is not something that is required under the NAGPRA regulations, which is, which is, I think, difficult and odd to think about because um, ultimately that is uh, the right place to go and what needs to happen. And so, you know, TBA, we're, we're a land managing agency. We have a lot of public land uh, available and we acknowledged that that was our responsibility and our obligation. So beyond those legal 
aspect, we recognize we have a moral obligation to tribes. And, and as he stated, we were the ones that removed those ancestors from the ground. And so we feel it's our responsibility to help the tribes put those individuals back. Um, and as, as an agency, TVA committed to providing um, large uh, locations of land um, for that specific purpose. And I think that is a very key part of being able to say um, that we've been through this process and complete the NAGPRA process. Again, even though that it's not required under the law, um, it is the right thing to do. And TVA recognizes that. Um, All right. And then I wanted to comment. Oh, sorry, okay. go ahead. Well, no, go ahead. Finish your train of thought, please. I was just going to say that I wanted to comment about um, the consultation piece that Shannon had mentioned and Meg kind of leaned into, but it is, it is so key and critical that you have to have multiple conversations and it's all about uh, open and honest transparency and we can't move forward with any of this work without the input uh, and the active involvement of the tribes and so we lean very very heavily on what uh, their preferences are how fast they want to go and what they want to see done Alrighty, let me go ahead and pivot back to shannon now and shannon we just learned from marianne that reinternment uh, is not required under nagpra do you take issue with that? Do you think that that's a, that's a flaw in NAGPRA? Should reinterment be required? Uh, so, so let's be clear here. That is the purpose of uh, the Native American Graves Protection Repatriation Act. Repatriation provisions is to repatriate. Um, the tribes are left to determine what repatriation means for them, but the legal or administrative process doesn't have uh, currently doesn't have a point where the institution would report that ancestors actually were reinterred into the into the earth. So okay. it's it's merely uh, it's merely a, a, a technical weirdness of NAGPRA. But but the truth is is that the native nation gets to decide um, how it will. Uh, take on those ancestors and what they wish to do. All righty. Thank you, Shannon. Let's go back to the phones. We have Shell. He's listening up in Fort Hall, Idaho on KISU. Hello, Shell. Sean, good morning, Sean. Uh, you know, the tribe here, you know, they have a, you know, a spiritual leader. When someone passes away, they, they, uh, they have the funeral. The the spiritual leader would, uh, before they go into the ground, they they would put a curse on that uh, on that uh, person and whatever that person's wearing, and that's the only way they see would protect protect it from then on. So, like you know, all these you know, some people don't even like going near uh, burial grounds or uh, cemeteries because there's so many curses of people that are buried there or things there and and you know it dates back to time immemorial as you know who who had uh some uh spiritual leader put a curse on someone way back then that no one can even un think of undoing or unraveling and you know that in some of those things they show up in uh curio shops and pawn shops if they look real old you know and you start getting sick when you get near them or something you know there's something going on you know mm -hmm. and you look mm -hmm. at the beat the beadwork or whatever it is and it's falling apart and 
you you have a sense, but you don't want to say, I, you know, I say it, you know, well, where did this come from? A burial ground? And no comment, you know? Shell, uh-huh. uh, yeah, you know, and at what you're describing, I've heard other folks uh, say the same thing, and it really, really makes a person think about, uh, you know, the, the real significance of what we're talking about today and, and some of these items, as well as remains of our ancestors. Uh, Shannon, what's your thought on that? I mean, here, Shell is saying, you know, maybe some of these things just, <laughs> I mean, I'm not really sure, you know, maybe people should just stay away, period. I don't know. What's your thought? Yeah, um, I've heard many stories uh, within institutions and from uh, Native Nation representatives who are working on repatriation. Um, everyone um, uh, that I've ever interacted with or, or worked on repatriations with always has protocols on how to protect yourself when working in this area. And for example, you know, women who are pregnant or, or childbearing years, you know, should not be doing repatriation work and other types of, of concerns and, and protocols are, are really throughout Indian country. But um, there is something, and, and when you start talking to these archeologists and, and anthropologists who have been working with um, our ancestors' remains, uh, I hate to call it working with, but have, who have, have desecrated graves and who, who study and research um, our ancestors' bones, um, you know, they have reported illnesses and sicknesses and, and, and problems happening. Uh, uh, it, it is a dangerous uh, thing to own and collect Native items, including uh, remains and other cultural heritage items. Many are considered dangerous by the religious societies who, who um, use the cultural heritage items. So um, I absolutely agree. This is, this is dangerous and difficult work. It's not just emotional, emotionally difficult uh, and straining, but it's also spiritually straining. All righty, all righty. Let's go ahead and go back to uh, our guests from the Tennessee Valley Authority. And Marianne, I'd like to, to go to you. And uh, these repatriation efforts there at TVA, uh, began about 12 years ago. It sounds like 2011. I just want to ask you, you know, listening to our conversation today, listening to some of our callers and their thoughts, and um, what have you folks learned since you started the process? And, and did you make some mistakes in the, starting out? Hey, yes, thank you for that. Um, so I can definitely say we have made made mistakes. Um, I think just in general, the, the relationship between the federal agency uh, and federally recognized tribes is one that has to happen through through mistakes and through learning. But I think the, the, the biggest thing about that is making sure that you learn from those mistakes uh, and you don't repeat them. Um, but, you know, working with tribes, we have learned, uh, you know, countless times that not one tribe is the same as all other tribes. They're all unique. They have their own culture, their own history, their own needs. Um, and so really making sure that we are not assuming things, um, that we talk to each tribe individually and we work through, um, you know, those cultural uh, practices and their needs uh, for when they are conducting these repatriations and these reinterments as well, just recognizing the fact that they are unique uh, and that not everyone is going to need or, or want the same things. 
Alrighty. Alrighty. Shannon, I want to go back to you. We're going to have to wrap up here in a couple of minutes, but what's next here uh, with regard to repatriation? Where are you focusing your energy, your resources? And uh, earlier you mentioned some organizations that are not working as hard as others. So which organizations need more of a push with regard to repatriation? Oof. Well, I've, I've always got my uh, top handful of institutions that are on our, our, uh, Poop list, I guess I'll say. Uh, <laughs> the top of the list is Harvard, uh, the Harvard Peabody Museum, who has uh, um, close to 7,000 ancestors uh, in boxes and um, uh, hundreds of thousands of other cultural heritage items uh, that they've been doing a, a very poor job at, at getting through. Another institution uh, is the Field Museum. Um, uh, as well as, uh, I, I think, the Arizona State Museum and, and a few others who haven't been doing very good. Um, what we're really watching right now is the NAGPRA regulations have been completely redone, a proposed rulemaking on brand-new regulations, uh, which gets rid of some problematic provisions and makes the process really tied to deadlines and timelines. Um, we're expecting a potential final uh, regulation to be published sometime between now and the 1st of October. So I think the scope of what PRA looks like is going to be changing radically very soon, and we'll be talking about those changes at our upcoming ninth Annual Repatriation Conference at the Citizen Potawatomi Nation um, just outside Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, on November 6th and 8th. Alrighty. Sorry, and 7th, for, 8th, and 9th. <laughs> November 7th, 8th, and 9th. Got it. And for folks that are listening now and would just like to, to learn more about some of these issues regarding NAGPRA and repatriation, what's a good resource where they can go? Uh, uh, they can definitely go to the National NAGPRA Programs website. And if you just Google National NAGPRA Program, it should bring you up to the National Park Service website. Also, the Association on American Indian Affairs, indian-affairs.org. We have pages devoted to repatriation efforts, not just under NAGPRA, but regard international repatriation and private collector repatriations. All righty. Well, that is all the time we have for our discussion today. I would like to thank our three guests, Shannon O'Loughlin, Meg Cook, and Marianne Schuler. Join us again tomorrow for a conversation with Native members of the Grist News Team about their reporting on fortress conservation. We hope you'll join us then. Support by Vision Maker Media, envisioning a world changed and healed by understanding Native stories and the public conversations they generate. 45 plus years of Native stories and Indigenous knowledge through film and media can be found at visionmakermedia.org. The Indian Arts and Crafts Board promotes Indian artists of federally recognized tribes through its online source directory. Information on this no-charge opportunity available at doi.gov IACB, who support this program. InsureKidsNow.gov. the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services.
Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.